Sup Freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. Matt O'Dell and I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with Adam Soltis, the developer behind CoinOS, CoinOS.io, uh, the web wallet that has Liquid and Lightning implemented into it. Very fun conversation. Uh, Adam's a really cool dude. Great Bitcoiner, under the radar. I think you guys are going to like this. should let you know this episode is brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. Do you know about the Cash App? Son? Son, do you know about the Cash App yet? Let me tell you about the Cash App. I'm going to tell my son about the Cash App. I don't know if he can understand me yet, but he's looking at me. So, son, the Cash App, it allows you to stack sats, send sats, sell sats, and receive sats. And you shouldn't be crying at this fact. <laughs> it's... uh. It's a really cool thing, son, being able to stack sats, send sats, sell sats, receive sats on the Cash App. And we're saying sats, 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 because you can make sats a standard, son. I know you may think that you have to buy a whole Bitcoin, but you don't. You can stack sats. Bitcoin is divisible by 100 million units known as Satoshis or sats. And the Cash App allows you to make sats the standard within their app. And then on top of that, you can dollar cost average in the sats. So if you just want to buy a little bit of Bitcoin... Maybe your first communion when you start getting money and stuff like that. You can you can DCA into the Cash App. will allow you to download the app. I don't know if you have a phone by then yet, but we'll think about it. Uh, on top of that, <laughs> if you want to become a young stonk trader, you can stack slivers of stonks too via the Cash App Investing. Cash App Investing is a subsidiary square and member SIPC. Uh, and as always, because this is all connected to your bank account, there's no four to five day waiting periods. You don't have a bank account yet, son, but... Maybe one day you will. Uh, actually, probably maybe maybe one day you won't. Maybe Bitcoin will be your bank account. I can only hope for that. I'm working on it. Uh, Cash App may be your bank account, though. They offer accounting numbers and routing numbers. So you get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. Um, so go check out the Cash App. And when you do, use the code StackingSats. Help Papa out. You're going to get $10. You're not really helping Papa out. You're helping Al's Lacrosse out when you use the code stacking sets. You get ten dollars, and ten dollars goes to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Alright, freaks, enjoy this episode. And son, listen to your father. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty. Bring in the mic inside. Uh, my camera's not picking up the light. I'm like going in and out here, gentlemen, so I'm sorry for that. Uh, but I'm warm and ready for a very interesting conversation about a very cool product that Matt and I talked about in RHR a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've reached out to the developer, and we're sitting here with him now. Uh, Adam Soltis, the uh, developer of CoinOS, a new web wallet. Uh, Adam, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Matt, uh, how are you? Are you on the move right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am on the move. This Airbnb has horrible Wi-Fi, so I'm using uh, 4G internet. 
but this it's is working. why we fingers this crossed. Is we, this is why we record locally. Um, yeah, like I said, we have like a tight hour and 15 minutes here. So I want to get in as much as possible. I was looking at your website, Adam, uh, you're working on a lot of cool things outside of coin OS. Uh, we'll definitely get the coin OS, but we were talking about the local, uh, internet that you're trying to create in Vancouver. Uh, let's dive into why you're doing that and, and why it would be beneficial for your neighbors. Yeah, so I guess I first started getting into the MeshNet stuff. I found this subreddit called the Darknet Plan, and uh, a project called CJDNS is an interesting one. But uh, this project is called Althea, and um, I guess the uh, benefit of having a more decentralized MeshNet or internet kind of setup or topology for internet is that it's harder to censor, and that's why I got kind of interested in it because uh, you know, Bitcoin's great, but what if um, governments start shutting down the internet and it becomes more difficult to use? So, um, yeah, and internet's obviously a vital infrastructure for so many other things besides just Bitcoin. But, um, yeah, it's important to have, like, a free and, uh, like, stable internet. So, um, yeah, the Althea project, it kind of lets you... Uh, set up your internet in a way that it's easy to share it out with other people who want to share your connection. And you do that by running a firmware on your router. So uh, it'll keep track of the bandwidth that people are using from you. So you can let them use your internet connection, but it'll charge them um, like by the minute or by the gigabyte for um, how much data they're using. And then it can throttle them if they're if they're not paying. Like, I think you can set your own price, but the the default is like ten cents a gigabyte or something. And so, yeah, you got a question, Marty? No, I was going to say that sounds pretty dope. Is it similar to what's going on with MYC Mesh with the because uh, there's super nodes and, and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. There's there's different gateway nodes that have um, like a backhaul connection to the internet, high-speed connection that they would then, um, people would connect to those to get onto the network. Uh, the difference with, like, between NYC Mesh is that they're not really doing the crypto payments, so it's not like an incentivized mesh network, I don't think. So with this, it's a little different in that you can earn cryptocurrency if you're running one of those super nodes or gateway nodes, and um, if because that's costly usually like to have a connection that you're allowed to share and resell. Most people aren't allowed to just sell their home internet, like their ISP would have terms of service that prevents them from doing that. So you have to get like a business connection or a direct connection at like a data center or something. And those can run into the hundreds or thousands of dollars a month. So you want to make sure that if you're going to be spending that much capital to get a connection like that, uh, people are going to be paying you back for it. So this kind of lets, uh, lets you manage that. Like the software on your router will automatically bill people. And like I said, you can set your price per gigabyte and then it'll just charge them for what they use. That's pretty sweet. And then it's all hooked up to a business bank account or uh, uh, XPUB or... Yeah, it's all done. Right now they're using, um, they support like Ethereum and uh, DAI, like the stablecoin. 
and they're using this network called XTag. Um, they wanted to uh, be like currency agnostic, so I'd really like to get a, a like Lightning Network and Bitcoin working for the, for the payments as well. That would be dope. And it seems like you alluded to the fact that Bitcoin sort of pushed you towards this mesh network a little bit, not the other way around. You weren't into mesh networks and then found Bitcoin. Yeah, I found, I found Bitcoin first and then uh, stumbled across this stuff. Like I said, it was the CJDNS project that I, I came across at some point that kind of turned me on to the idea of um, yeah, having like an alternative network to the internet that's harder to censor. Yeah. And so I guess what, what drew you to Bitcoin originally? I guess to, to go before that then. Oh yeah. Well, I got, I got into Bitcoin around 2011 and uh, I was working for the Canadian government at the time. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not anymore. You're and actually, you're actually the second guest to have worked for the Canadian government in the last month. Really? There's Who a lot of was? you showing up. Uh, Mark, uh, I'm going to butcher your last name, Mark. Triard, uh, Triar. Uh, from a company Snappa, and they they invested. They're up in Ottawa, I believe. Could be wrong there. Uh, and they invested some of their treasury in Bitcoin. Nice. Oh yeah, I listened to that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those guys are cool. Um, yeah, more companies putting their treasuries into Bitcoin every day now. It seems that's it's good. It's a good trend. But um, yeah. So Bitcoin, I found it just. I don't know. I think it, I may have come across it from a, a blog post or something and just checked out the Bitcoin wiki and the Bitcoin talk forums and went down the rabbit hole and got hooked pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. And so I guess we can just jump into CoinOS here. Like what what prompted you to build this web wallet? Web wallets historically, I mean, they were very popular uh, back in the early days. Uh, many people warned against web wallets due to how vulnerable they can be to phishing attacks and putting your information on the internet, your, your Satoshis on the internet, more importantly, could put you at risk. But it seems like you've built a pretty cool product here and uh, decided to go with a web wallet and just interested why a uh, web wallet particularly. Yeah. Yeah, I started off using like the blockchain.info web wallet when I was first getting into things. I mean, well, first I started using Bitcoin Core, but... Uh, the web wallets are just convenient. Like you don't have to install anything. You don't have to synchronize the blockchain. You don't have to set up your own lightning channels. You don't have to um, worry about configuring any settings or anything. You just go to a website and you've got an account. It's ready to go. So, it's so um, fucking convenient. Yeah, it's convenient. So. And so there's going to be a trade-off between convenience and security, right? So for people just wanting to do some payments and uh, go to your local coffee shop or whatever that, that you always hear about, then, you know, spending up to a hundred bucks or something like you would keep cash in your, in your wallet, you can have a web wallet for, for the convenience factor and then keep your savings and stuff and, uh, an offline cold storage. And what I liked here is that it shows really well on mobile too. So, you know, we have like this issue here where, uh, especially on, on iPhones where Apple controls the app store with, uh, an iron fist. 
and you can have you know your spending wallet be coin os and you can you can just easily switch between your you know your desktop or your your phone without having to deal with the app store um, yeah obviously it is custodial um so it'd be who of us to say not your keys not your coins um but but like adam said i mean i I see the place here seems to be like as a spending wallet a small balance spending wallet um and then the main issue with custodial usually is that it becomes like this massive single point of failure but the fact that you open source the server side makes it a really cool implication that like anyone can run their own coin os server through tour for their friends or family or whatnot it, it could just we could have like there could be like a thousand different coin os servers out there at some point yeah and i would love to see that um i know you guys have talked a lot about the kyc AML bullshit that we're kind of being subjected to and in canada we had uh some legislation come in just this past june that um, now says that anyone who's running a custodial Bitcoin wallet or an exchange has to register with the financial regulator and do all the KYC of your clients and reporting and all that. So it kind of puts up a big barrier for small guys like me who just want to run a little custodial wallet for their friends, you know, have to kind of go through all that. And that's unfortunate. Um, it, it kind of put, puts a chilling effect on that now someone who did want to run their own CoinOS server in Canada would have to think about that, but they could potentially be, you know, have the, the government coming down on them for that and claiming that they're a money launderer. So, I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot, but because I wasn't even going to bring that up because I don't want you to put you on the spot, but like, how are you dealing with that considering there's no KYC on CoinOS right now? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to turn it on. I'm afraid, Oof. Um, <laughs> which sucks because I really I really think that a lot like a big part of the what makes it attractive is is the convenience factor. So just being able to go on there with an anonymous account and start sending a little bit of Bitcoin and liquid tokens around. Um, that was like the big draw and like the big use case for it. Um, if I start to have to get people to sign up with their their address and like send in their photo ID and their financial statements and proof of like utility bills and all that, then suddenly it's it's not so easy for someone to just get going with Bitcoin then. Um, so what I'm hoping is that we do see like a thousand different people running their own little servers on tour and uh, just taking a stand against those regulations and they can't stop everyone. So Boss. right yeah, now it's... I don't want to be the guy who's sticking his neck out and like the only person running this custodial wallet because then it's obvious it can come after me, but I'm going to build the tools and build the software so that and make it easy for anyone to do it. So hopefully we can have lots of people doing this. Yeah, hopefully you suffer the same fate that we did, have an anonymous person steal your node and throw it behind Tor, uh, and they can operate a good business still, these these thieves, they uh, they wind up doing that. But it's infuriating, though, considering it's actually been a theme and a topic in the bent on Rabbit Hole Recap a lot in the last three weeks, particularly is the KYC AML compliance regulations and more particularly this week, been focusing on the overbearing costs that it pushes on 
builders and people who want to run services or companies. And it's coming to light that the regulations and the compliance measures that uh, the banking system is taking to be compliant with the regulations that are coming out is doing nothing to stop the flow of money between criminals. I, I believe uh, something like 0.05% of all the financial activity be- between criminals was, or I don't want to say all criminals, but the uh, particular criminal criminal enterprises was caught by AML procedures, which is it's completely ineffective and it just creates a regulatory mode around these financial institutions and, and worst of all, puts everybody's data on the line, which is yeah. insane. Like, imagine you having, would you be more worried about storing everybody's personal information or their sats? Like, are you more comfortable <laughs> securing their sats than their IDs and all that? Yeah, exactly. They're both bad, but yeah, the personal information seems even worse than losing just money. Yeah. On top of all that, it adds a ton of friction for the actual product. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, there is um, yeah. there is this like thing where I think under a thousand dollars, you're allowed to service people without having to ID them and stuff. So that's kind of my thinking for now is I'll just put a limit on because I don't want to be custodying much more than that anyways for people. So uh, I'll just put some limit in place that if you deposit more than that, I'll just automatically transfer it into a non-custodial wallet. So I can say, you know, I'm not, I'm not custodying any more than that. So yeah, then you got, I don't have you got to, you have to factor in the complexity of the Bitcoin price fluctuations too. Like what if you put a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin in today and it goes 12 X and I have $1,200. Like is the burden on you to then yeah, those limits? Probably it is like, I'll have to, I'll have to check every day, check everyone's balance. And if it's become more than a thousand, then I'll, you know, shave it down and move some of it off to a non-custodial wallet for them. That's the nice thing too, is that CoinOS does, I do let you have non-custodial Bitcoin and liquid wallets in there. So I can just, I do have access to like your XPUB. So I can generate a new address for you and then take money from the custodial wallet that I'm managing and just move it into a non-custodial one and be, and be sure that you'll be able to access it. Yeah, so let's unpack that a little bit because um, I, I think it is pretty cool that you can choose whether or not you have a custodial wallet. Like the user can choose when they're, when they're logged into CoinOS. They can choose if they create a custodial wallet or they create a non-custodial wallet. Um, and it, I guess it defaults to custodial in the beginning. Um, yeah. A lot of where the magic happens for me, you know, so... The freaks who have been listening to the pod for a while know I've been struggling to basically try and find a use case for myself with Liquid. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about Lightning on the podcast, but we rarely talk about Liquid. And one of the one of the issues is, is like, I you have to have like another separate wallet uh, for Liquid. And what's really cool about what you did with the custodial portion, not the non-custodial portion, but the custodial portion of CoinOS is that it's one combined wallet. Like I, you can receive lightning into it, you can receive on-chain into it, you can receive liquid into it, and you can send out in any of those methods. So you could presumably receive a lightning payment and then send it out liquid with like no friction whatsoever. Um, you, you, it, it's like, I guess you could probably do that for the non-custodial on sending liquid, right? Because you'd basically just do a peg in while you do the send. 
Pagans take a hundred blocks to be confirmed, oh, so, so it's not really practical to do that. Yeah, that's the beauty. The beauty is how smooth it is that you can just like pay any liquid invoice. Yeah, that's that's another big part of the custodial aspect is the convenience. So uh, being able to go between the different layers, but also just being able to uh, like send a payment to another user on the server or um, like give give people a voucher that there's like they can just go to a URL and then it creates an account for them on the fly. So you can do all these cool things. And then it, it alleviates pressure from the, the uh, network. Like if all this stuff is being done off chain in a, in a custodial database, then um, all those transactions don't need to be done on chain or on the lightning network. Even they can just be done completely offline. And there's even uh, some like privacy implications there where, all that stuff is if we have all these thousands of custodians and they're all their little private islands of different transactions going on, then um, yeah, it's, it kind of boosts privacy that way. Yeah, I mean, the user has to trust the server with some elements of their privacy. I mean, and you know, they'll see the transactions, stuff like that. But if it's going through Tor, they don't have an IP address and the external privacy guarantees are a huge benefit over a non-custodial wallet when you start to think about it because none of it's on chain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're seeing some potential privacy benefits here, and I guess with the nature of it being a web wallet, but you're able to run many personal servers around the world, how, how do you view security given the trade-offs that are at play here and how do you like tighten up security the best you can um, for the wallet? Is that just lack of interactive code on the front end um, to reduce phishing attempts or what's your security mindset when building this? Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of comes down to as long as no one can hack the server or, or meddle with the database records, let's say what everyone's balances, then um, it should be secure. So it's, it's sort of like a very traditional security model. Like if anyone who's running a website backed by a database has had to go through this, make sure that, um, you know, you, you lock down your server so people can't meddle with it. But that's like yeah. a, a problem that, every every company running a website has already had to deal with so yeah yeah because there's it's like cloud mining and web wallets had this weird we'll never go back to them because of how bad they were in the past um yeah but again the experience that you've designed here is it's pretty seamless we got like <laughs> nearly two minutes before we hit record i sent 10,000 sats to, to a wallet I just created and it happened instantly and I can go spend. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the, again, like don't, you're not going to use this to put all your savings in, but for a couple hundred bucks for spending and, and the convenience of it, I think that's, it's a fair trade-off. Yeah. And I guess going like going back to liquid for a minute, the other uh, cool thing about liquid is, 
uh, you can issue your own tokens and trade them. So, um, like, I do think that tokenizing everything does have some real utility. Uh, and Bitcoin's obviously going to be the money, the store of value, but being able to issue tokens to represent like fractional ownership in real world assets and, and trade them around, that's uh, that's something that Bitcoin doesn't really have to do. Like why, why saddle the Bitcoin network with all that kind of transactions and, um, but having like even tokens for stable coins and stuff is, is useful because you can self custody your, your stable coins and things. So it makes, um, the potential of like trusting exchanges, where if someone wants to put some Canadian dollars into an exchange or something or US dollars, rather than just holding a balance on the exchange, if they give you a stable coin and then you can self custody it in your own wallet, then that exchange isn't uh, like the sole point of failure, right? If they got hacked or something, you can still hold your, your stable coins. So but then you're, being able trusting, to do... you're trusting the stable coin issuer instead of yeah so change. yeah um, i'm still i don't want to say i'm still a little bit skeptical of the token model because it's confusing because right now like i went to like go create a token within the wallet and it's crazy yeah you can easily do, or issue a new asset that's what i hit so i can just create a token marty coin tick yeah right now which is pretty cool that you can do that in one two three four five easy steps yeah uh, um on coinos like, how would those tokens ever accrue value if I create a Marty coin right now? Like, what would I need to be doing as the creator of Marty coin to drive value to that? Well, you could uh, you could go to the exchange page on CoinOS and list your Marty coins for sale in exchange for Bitcoin and see if anyone comes and buys them. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you could use them as like access tokens or something. Yeah, for ticketing, yeah. Like, if you want to about tokens that every token is a ticket to some event or something there's so many applications for tokens that i think it's pretty cool to to make those easy to create and trade yeah i like the idea of concert creating like a unique authentication token that you pay for in bitcoin and then only you can access that that concert well, I mean, yeah, the beauty exactly. is that you could resell it, right? You could like yeah. frictionlessly resell it if you wanted to, instead of having to rely on like scalpers right in front of the event. Yeah, well, yeah. Is, Live Na- is Live Nation just going to come in and, and scoop up all the uh, <laughs> the ticket tokens first? Well, if Live Nation's tra- involved, I'm sure it's going to be scammy. <laughs> That's fascinating. I want to talk more about Liquid, but not the tokens as much, because I'm... I, I, I think it's novel, like it could be useful, uh, these different assets or whatnot. Uh, stable coins is kind of cool, like it shifts the trust model around. And, and I think like the big thing is, is basically interoperability. Basically, you can trust someone else with holding your fiat while you're using whatever exchange you want to use. You can split those two trusts up. Yeah. Um, but Liquid doesn't get enough play on this podcast. We, we rarely talk about Liquid to the point where... Um, we had used on uh, the podcast and he specializes in lightning. And I was, I was like panging for some liquid talk. So I asked him and he was like, I don't fucking know. Um, Should I so get I, the, the high level, like liquid overview? 
Yeah, shill us yeah. liquid. Why is liquid important? Can you yeah, give we us, are, can you give the freaks a shill? We've and to put more context into this, I've said many times that I have no use case for liquid. I see it mainly at least at this point in time is a federated sidechain to be used mainly by uh, exchanges and traders on those exchanges to move funds between each other. Yeah, that's how it was sort of, uh, that's how it's been advertised and sold by Blockstream so far. But I think it it does have some some benefits for just regular users too. So um, yeah, Liquid is a side chain. It's open source code that runs it. It's called Elements, which is a fork of Bitcoin. And it has the same kind of, um, like security model and stuff as Bitcoin, where you generate your your private public key pairs for your addresses, and you can store those offline. And it works pretty much the same as Bitcoin, but there's a few differences in that. Um, first of all, there's no like competitive mining process. It's just run by this federation of different functionaries, which are big exchanges or companies that were selected to run the network. There's 15 of them, and uh, they all control this uh, big multi-sig Bitcoin account, basically, where you need 11 of the 15 of them to sign off on any transactions from that account. Yeah. Is that is that M of N growing? Is that Federation growing? Um, not yet. What was the there, thing? Like, there... Wiz is, like, he's a signer, or... Wasn't there an announcement like a few months ago that they added like additional members to the Federation or whatever? Um, so they've added more members to, uh, I guess, the, the liquid like uh, organization that um, does the governance and, and all those members have access to be able to do pegouts. So that means they can um, take liquid Bitcoin and convert it back into on-chain, like real Bitcoin, um, whereas that's like not something that just anyone can do. Uh, you need to be able to uh, have the authority to do that. It's granted by the Liquid Federation, but I don't think they've grown the set of the 15 functionaries that um, actually do like the block creation. and. All right. Yeah, I mean, but they're working on that, limit, but... right? On multisig, on Bitcoin multisig of sixteen of sixteen signers, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and and I think that's something that's going to be changed in the future. That that they're actively trying to make it so that the that group of signers can be uh, dynamic, and they can. I didn't more. realize that though. Just to unpack that. this, just to unpack this a little bit. The there, the trust model of Liquid. You don't. You don't need permission to peg into it. You don't need permission to go from Bitcoin to liquid Bitcoin, but That's you need right. permission to go from from liquid Bitcoin back to to real Bitcoin. Uh, and, and and you could get around that a little bit by using like these swap services, but it's not really like a trustless swap. You're basically it's just like a, a shape shift where you like going in between like a centralized swap provider exchange. That's right. Or you could use Coinos to do it. Right. Um, yeah. Or you could go to Bitfinex. Like there's a bunch of places where um, you can trade Bitcoins for liquid Bitcoins at one to one. They won't charge a fee or anything. So, or yeah, if you're just wanting to go the one way and peg in, then that's something you can do. Uh, but you have to wait for a hundred confirmations and 
kind of have to be running your own like liquid and Bitcoin full nodes to do that. So it's, it's, it's a bit technical, but it's possible. Like I, I did that when I was first starting with liquid, I, I picked in a bit of Bitcoin just to see how that worked. And then, yeah, you get your Bitcoin gets locked up into that 11 out of 15 multi-sig and they issue you uh, the equivalent amount of liquid Bitcoin. So that goes to your liquid wallet and then you can start using that on the liquid network. So um, some properties of the liquid network is like the blocks are faster than Bitcoin. So um, they're every one minute and there's no like variance. It's every minute, no matter what, there's no, like it could be one minute or it could be five minutes. Like with Bitcoin, you don't know, it could be 10 minutes or it could be an hour. Um, so that's nice. It's like blocks happen every minute and uh, fees are pretty low because there's not as much volume on the network and all the transactions are confidential or uh, I think by default they're confidential. So that means that if you go to the block explorer and look at a transaction, you can't see the amounts that are being transacted. You can see the addresses that are sending, but you can't necessarily see the amounts. And uh, you can't even be sure that it's what asset it is. So it might have been Bitcoin that was being sent, but it could have been one of these other liquid tokens that like Marty's sending his Marty coins around and no one can see into that um, on the block explorer. So it's a little so bit more you, private. You can see the address. You can see the addresses, like addresses, address one sent to address to ad money to address two, but you don't know what they sent and how much they sent. Yeah, exactly. Um, so from what I saw, fees are like locked in at like 0.1 sat per byte. Is there like any kind of situation where they ever go above that? I, I'd like, yeah, I'm they're not to locked to that. That's, that's the minimum. And, and because the blocks are empty, there's no reason to pay more than that. But if the blocks started getting full, then the fees would go up. There would be a fee market on liquidity. And those fees, I think, uh, they just go to Blockstream. It's like they, that's their revenue model for running the network and, and developing the software. It doesn't get split up amongst the 15 co-signers. Interesting. Um, so what do you think the problem with, like, like, like I was going to say, I'm looking at Clark Moody's dashboard. It's got 2,600 Bitcoin worth of value tied up in that side chain. Uh, Again, a lot of people are skeptical of Liquid outside of a few niche use cases. What do you think uh, Liquid needs to to prove to people that it's actually something worthwhile and something that will gain adoption? You think it's software like you're providing, just easier access to the network? Do you think it's a better product market fit? Does the market just need to develop? Uh, do traders and exchanges need to experiment with this a little bit more to make other people more comfortable with it? Yeah, all that. And uh, I think that the ease of issuing tokens and, and being able to swap them like atomically is one of the biggest use cases. So um, atomic swaps on the liquid network are really cool. It means that you can take two different assets like Marty coin and Adam coin, and neither one of us has to, like if we wanted to trade some we, neither one of us has to send first or go through a third party custodian to, to be trustless. So like we don't have to find someone to escrow those coins and then release them when we've both sent them in or anything like that. We can 
create a transaction that swaps both those coins in a single transaction. And um, that opens up a whole possibility of a decentralized exchange where you don't have to trust um, these exchanges to be custodians to go in and out of different assets like that. It wouldn't be trust. It'd be trust minimized, right? They were not, it obviously wouldn't be trustless. Well, as long as you're trusting the liquid network to right. continue functioning for the next couple minutes while you do that transaction. This uh, this explanation has just this reoccurring thought in my head: like, is liquid more like how does liquid uh, decentralization compare to something like Ethereum? It's like Ripple without the shitcoin. Adam, would you agree with that well, feels assessment? Like, feels like you're able to create ERC-20 tokens and what you just described in the atomic uh, swapping of these assets. Isn't that like what Uniswap serves as a purpose yeah. for Ethereum? Yeah, but um, I don't know. Liquid is, is being developed by the same kind of brilliant Bitcoin wizards that gave us Bitcoin or have continued to work on Bitcoin, right? So... I think it's a better platform than all those other ones. It's cheaper and, and easier to use. Like you don't have to write a big ERC-20 contract with Solidity. And, um, I mean, I'm not that familiar with all the different uh, shitcoin platforms, but <laughs> I know with Ethereum, it was, I did, I did issue tokens on there just to try it and it was kind of difficult. Um, with Liquid, it's like trivial and yeah, these atomic swaps are pretty easy to do too. So, well, like, like liquid takes different, like goes for a different trade-off balance than Ethereum at least pretends to on the surface, right? Is it is it goes liquid? Well, let's goes let's not focus on what let's not focus on what they pretend to do. Let's focus on the actual state. But what I'm saying the... is like, like I forget who we had on the pod. We had someone on the pod at one point who like was a little bit too nice to EOS and he was like they went they went very centralized right and he appreciated that they went more centralized instead of this like oh, faux it was, decentralization it was Joe Looney and he said he appreciated because they were just being completely upfront right. with that's the what liquid that's what liquid's doing without the shitcoin and the ICO that EOS has right so it's like you have this you have some trust in the federation right this this plurality of of signers yeah. Um, so it's not completely trustless. You are trusting them. And as a result there, you're able to iterate on it quickly and improve, improve the network quick, quickly. You have solid uptime and you have low fees, right? Yeah. And, and you're able to keep and the fees, fees are paid with, the fees are paid with liquid Bitcoin rather than right. some other like yeah, Ethereum right. or yeah. DOS or whatever. So, so it contributes to the fee market and overall security of the network. Yeah. Like, Bitcoin is the money there. Yeah. Now, now where my mind's going is like how much notional value can be created on top of the peg Bitcoin? Like does the total amount of value of each underlying token that's created equal the amount that's pegged in? Or could you hypothetically have more value in the overall tokens than are pegged in? And I don't know if you know the answer to this question. It's just where my mind's going right now. Well, the value of the tokens is just kind of up to the market. So, um, but they have to peg it, peg in liquid Bitcoin, peg in the liquid Bitcoin at one point. Well, on on Ethereum, for instance, you have this situation where 
you could have this is just we're going to keep talking about ethereum where you could have like erc20 tokens that end up having more value um than than the security like it, it could incentivize 51 percent attacks but because it there's more value to to take away from that token that that the chain doesn't really know how much value that token has um but yeah. the attacker does but in this case with liquid the trust model is completely different. Like you can't fifty-one percent attack liquid. You have to basically compromise the signers. Yeah, and they've been carefully selected, so they're all geographically distributed. There's no more than three functionaries in a single jurisdiction. So that if there's ever like a natural disaster or some of the governments start going after them, um, they have to get at least four of them all together and. Uh, you know, because it's 11 out of 15, right? So if four of them go offline, it's still okay. So, and all these um, functionaries are, are big, like, they're Bitcoiners. They're, uh, they're big exchanges and stuff. So they have, like, a, an interest in running the network properly and um, not misbehaving. But the other cool thing is that even if um, they all did get compromised or or something happened and they did start misbehaving or they got shut down. The the code for Liquid, like the elements code is open source. And like us three could start our own Liquid network and um, have people peg in to get, you know, the, the tales from the crypt Bitcoin <laughs> and issue their own <laughs> assets and stuff. So. Uh, yeah, like if you wanted to set up your own federation or anything, um, you can just use that code and and do that. So, Would you... I think building building tools and stuff that that work with that code is is worthwhile because, uh, like, I'm pretty optimistic that the Liquid Network is is just gonna keep getting bigger and better and more decentralized. I think that's sort of where Blockstream is trying to push it. So. But, but yeah. yeah, I mean, but that's kind of like where I feel about Coin OS, right? Is that the 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 risk, the like the main attack vector is obviously that it's a, it's a custodial wallet, right? So someone could hit you, um, yeah. You could get regulated. You can have to you know be compelled to shut it down or something. Um, same thing with Liquid with with the federate. It's it's a it's slightly better trust model because you have to hit a plurality of of the signers. But where it really gets interesting on Liquid, and we haven't seen this yet, is if you had a thousand Liquid networks and they're being run from like pseudonymous um, signers and they all had different reputation scores and stuff. And, and, you know, one has been around for like six, seven years and no one knows who any of the signers are, but they've never done any fuckery. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's when it starts to get really interesting and you can swap between the different chains. I'm surprised we haven't seen other ones already maybe i'll start one <laughs> i think we should if we the sooner we see them the better it is for the original liquid network like i think it makes them more censorship resistant if there's like a 500 of them yeah. and it's not like oh you can just snuff out this one and have an effect yeah so if any of the freaks listening want to want to start a federation with me let me hit me up <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like makes me incredibly bullish like how it seems like they're just like incredibly early for the liquid network but maybe it's like if, if you build it they will come type situation 
Yeah, well, anything that takes takes pressure off the main Bitcoin chain is good too, right? Like all the transactions on Liquid can can be going on. It just saves us from filling up blocks and putting the fees up on the Bitcoin network. Yeah, and it's same. pretty. It's not Go totally. Ahead. It's not as trustless as the Bitcoin network, but for me, like, uh, it's trustless enough. Like. Um, I know like with CoinOS, I was saying like a couple hundred dollars is maybe the limit people should be putting in, but uh, for the Liquid Network, I'd be comfortable putting thousands of, of dollars on there. Interesting. And so comparing Liquid and Lightning, which are two secondary yeah. situations running in parallel that are both incorporated into CoinOS, uh, how, do you, how do you look at the pros and, or how do you compare them in um, what do you think one does better than the other? Right. Yeah, there's there's advantages to both. So Lightning is pretty awesome because um, you can have instant uh, finality there. Like with Liquid, you, you still need to wait a minute. I mean, it's not too long, but it's still a bit annoying. With Lightning, it's, it's like instantly done and it's trustless. But, uh, and like the fees are even lower on Lightning. Like they're they're practically nothing. Like if you have a direct channel between someone, it, it can be you can send payments for no fees at all. And even if you're having to go through the Lightning network and and go through a couple routing nodes, it's like a lot of them just charge one satoshi for a transaction. So paying like a couple satoshis maybe to do a Lightning payment. And but the the one issue with Lightning is it's a bit it's a bit of a different model in that you have to have your wallet online and watching to make sure that uh, your channel partners aren't um, misbehaving and you need to set up those channels so it's a bit more of an upfront like you need to yeah be running a hot wallet that you've put some capital into and open up all these channels and then you kind of have to manage to make sure that you open channels to the right places so that your payments um, can get through to where they're trying to go. So all these issues about channel management and liquidity management on the Lightning Network that they're all getting easier and better and like uh, multi-part payments and, and uh, stuff is, is helping. And the more people using the Lightning Network, the better it gets. But um, yeah, those are some of the trade-offs. It's just, it's a little bit harder to get going, especially like if you want to do it trustlessly on mobile or on the web, it's, you kind of have to be connecting out to like your own lightning node that you're maybe running on a, on a server somewhere or back at home. So it's a bit hard to run like a full lightning node on your, on your phone or on a website right now. Yeah. No, but I agree. It feels like things are getting better and improvement is being made slowly yeah. but surely. And so I guess what is in the product roadmap for CoinOS? Uh, how, like, what do you, how do you see these technologies maturing and your service maturing if you can avoid having to uh, spend too much money on compliance? Uh, yeah, I want to build out the wallet, the just basic wallet functionality. So being able to do coin selection and uh, being able to 
but people send to like usernames a bit more easily and have like some social aspects in there where I can see like, oh, I got a payment from Marty and then show up in like my, my recent contacts or something and uh, focus on like merchant adoption. So letting people use this to take payments in, in retail settings. Um, and then like getting more privacy features in there like pay join and, and coin join stuff. Uh, and then building up like the decentralized exchange aspect. So you can list your own tokens and, and trade them and make it easy for anyone to like run their own little Bitcoin exchange. And yeah, hopefully see a lot more of these custodians popping up and Uncle Jim's of the world running custodial <laughs> wallets and exchanges. The ultimate Uncle Jim wallet. Yeah. Well, is, is Uncle Jim the path to sufficient distribution and decentralization obviously that's the ideal that we strive for is that obviously best case scenario uh, the people connecting to uncle jim are also running their own nodes but uncle jim exists because they they're not uh, comfortable doing that well, is uncle, uncle jim, jim going to save the world uncle jim runs the coin os server and then his 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 little nieces and nephews are able to connect to it through Tor and, you know, and it'll, it'll be distributed if we have enough Uncle Jims. Um, exactly. I just wanted to go back for a second to the lightning versus liquid thing. I mean, just to unpack it to its simplest, the, the thing that hit me, when you don't have to re worry about the peg in or the peg out or the swap in or the swap out with, because it's coin S and because it's custodial, uh, the beauty of the liquid payment versus the lightning payment is you don't have routing errors. You just will never hit a routing error. And anyone who's yeah. tried to spend on lightning has seen this where you try and send like a 400,000 pay sat payment and it doesn't go through. And then you try and send a 300,000 sat payment. And it doesn't go through. So then you try a 150 and it goes through. Right. Yeah. And you have to like go down or whatnot with with liquid. You just don't have that. So there is there's something there. I, like I can't put my finger on it, but there's something there in terms of using it as a spending wallet for these like medium capacity amounts, you know, where it's like an amount where if you try and do it on Bitcoin and fees are like at 170 sats per byte because some fucking news came out and everyone's trying to get onto exchanges and all the fees are going up and pricing you out. Um, you have that consistency on liquid where you don't have to deal with the capacity requirements. Yeah, there's that for sure. And the other thing is just the uh, like the security model uh, is the same as Bitcoin. So you can generate like a liquid paper wallet if you want. And you've got your keys, you put some money in there and you just keep it offline. It's easier to custody. Like with Lightning wallets, you're basically running a hot wallet. So there's more uh, security considerations for that. Well, our boy 6102 would crucify me if I didn't call you out on that, uh, is, is that it is a little, it's different than Bitcoin in that you are trusting the signers to not fuck with you, but, but it's, a, it's a different trade. It's definitely, um, it's nice that you don't need a hot wallet yeah. compared to Lightning. But compared to Bitcoin, it's not really truly cold storage. I like, I, you can never truly cold store liquid Bitcoin because something could happen to the Federation while you're asleep and then they're not your keys anymore or they are your keys, but there's, there's worthless. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's unlikely. 
especially if the Federation gets big enough. Fair. Yeah. Why are people so? I mean, people do get hung up on the on the Federation and Liquid. Like a lot of there's a lot of Liquid haters out there. Um, you think they're just being too obtuse in in their hard lines with with what they're willing to allocate some trust to. Um, frankly, yeah, I haven't looked that deep into Liquid because again, I've been under the impression that the best use cases are for exchanges and traders, both of which I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I take more just a pragmatic approach. Like you gotta, you know, who the Federation is, you know, that it, their incentives would, the incentive for them to, to mess with it and do something bad, it goes against their incentives. So, why would they? Why would they do that? It would ruin the network for them. So. Yeah, and then it, I guess the conversation of side chains in general has been bubbling up a little bit more. At least I've been noticing in some circles. Like, do you see any other second layer types of solutions coming to market? Do any other side chain uh, schemes interest you at all? Oh well. Ruben Sampson and uh, the state chains idea is pretty cool. So that just um, kind of takes side chains to a, an even more trustless level. And yeah, uh, passing around par- private keys, correct, in a state chain type way. Where? Yeah, I don't want to try to explain state chains because I'd have to go and <laughs> read about them and listen to them to be able to. I haven't I haven't explained them to people yet, so still a bit fuzzy in my mind, but, um, yeah, if you want to go check out Ruben Sampson stuff on that, it's pretty interesting. So, uh, I think like the big thing would be that then you can have like with liquid, you get the, what the pig ins can be done, but pig outs can't be done right now. And, and the Federation is kind of, it's not dynamic at the moment, but when we see the side chains with where you can go both ways and, uh, the federation can grow and, and change over time, and and uh, and state chains are actually like a different thing where you can have like trustless custodians that let you move UTXOs. Um, yeah, without touching, <laughs> without touching the chain, right? Like that's the yeah. I think so. I, I don't want to try to explain it. Chains. Yeah. Go look up state chains, people. They're they're cool. Uh, I just can't explain them right now. Yeah, and then people drive chains are often talked about, never never implemented, if I recall correctly. Um, they're very controversial as well. Yeah. yeah, I feel like the whole second layer beyond Lightning Network and Liquid hasn't been explored in earnest. I'm very excited for state chains too, just to learn more about it and see what it brings to the table, but. Are lightning and liquid just like the very, very tip, the top snowflake on the, on the top of the iceberg? Okay, are we not even imagining potential second layer solutions that could be popular in the future? I'm sure there's other ones out there that no one's thought about yet. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Matt? Do you have any other second layer solutions that excite you? Well, I mean, I, I thought it was funny because Adam used the word pragmatic to explain liquid and in my head that's what i was going to use to explain it uh 
if I answered first. Uh, so I, I, I do agree with that. I think it's a, it's a good way of framing it. And I think that's one of the issues that Liquid has from its detractors is that it does take this like pragmatic trade-off approach um, that has some nuance there in what it provides you and what kind of like what the trust model is. And nuance is fucking impossible on Twitter. So it results in all of these back and forths where people argue past each other. While with Lightning, Lightning's almost trying to go for like that perfect, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect trust model, but it's trying to go for this, like this perfect balance where you have, you know, permissionless, uh, low fees, instant settlement, you know, as trust minimized as possible. Uh, so it's, a, it's an easier trade-off balance to, to discuss almost than, than liquid because liquid does try and just hit like for all practical pur- for like most practical purposes like it should get the job done right but there's all this nuance there yeah and with lightning there's a lot of complexity like there's a lot of different attacks and things that um that the the lightning protocol developers have to be mindful of and with liquid the model is it's just a blockchain so we've already figured out how to do that with bitcoin it's just yeah taking some bitcoin off the main chain and putting it onto another chain but there's no like i mean there's confidential transactions and the assets and stuff that is that is innovative and it's different from bitcoin but uh yeah the main like innovation has already been done so it's not as experimental and and complicated yeah, with that being said, if you're running L&D, make sure you're uh, uh, updated <laughs> to the most recent release. Would Apparently, there's a big bug. We don't know what the bug is yet. No, it'll be released on October 20th. We'll so. know next RHR. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'll tell you, it's really cool looking at the Blog Explorer and, and not seeing the amounts. I yeah. like, you know, that's, that's my non-technical two sats right there. That's just pretty cool. Yeah, I yeah, like I need, that too. I need to experiment with liquid war go into Maybe. the block stream go to the block blockstream.info has a liquid explorer that's the same exact uh you know interface as the bitcoin explorer and if you click through there on the transactions you just can't you can't tell what assets or or, or what amounts are being sent it just says confidential that's dope and so another like was so it, Stable coins, a lot of people are beginning to talk like, hey, if layer two, if a layer two is to succeed, needs to implement stable coins like in mass. Like we've seen, that's the biggest use case on Ethereum is tokenizing stable coins and, and sending them throughout the network. Yeah. See, yeah, like, stable like, coins. Like I just, uh, I issued my own stable coin just the other day on the Liquid Network. I put, uh, I put some Canadian dollars in a bank account and issued the same amount of liquid tokens. And uh, now I can sell those liquid tokens. People can receive them, custody them themselves without having to trust me. And uh, I just offer to redeem them back to Canadian dollars at par. So anyone wants to buy some of my Canadian dollar tokens, they can like send me some Canadian dollars. I'll put it in the bank account, keep it there. And you're trusting me, but uh, again, it's like the more people that the easier it becomes to do that for like thousands of people to issue their own stable coins and potentially with multi-sig, you can, you know, 
you can have like a federation of people who are issuing a stable coin and they'd all have to be compromised or a certain threshold of them would have to be compromised for that stable coin to be messed up. So it just gives people the option to be like, well, uh, even if it's like you were saying that like anonymous people on tour, if they've been running for six years and they haven't screwed with things yet, maybe it's okay to trust them with like a few hundred dollars and, and buy like a few hundred dollars worth of their stable coin. That's I want. I want to see the anonymous federations. You know, the pseudonymous federations, where you have these like a web of trust reputation just built up over time. Like that gets really, really crazy in my head pretty quickly. With, yeah. with the fiat stable coins, you do have the issue where it's, where like banks are getting involved. Like you have to deal with bank accounts. You um, could deal with cash. Yeah, I, or you could have like a gold, like a gold token where like they're kept in warehouses in like Serbia or something, protected by like private guards. And you know. like we we could have a, a stable coin where you have to do like this this drop off at some secret location of cash, and then every day like we we like post a photo of like all these bills spread out on the floor, and we're like this is, <laughs> this is our auditor, and it just like goes up on the on tour somewhere like a photo of like all these bills in a, in a warehouse somewhere <laughs> that's hilarious it's like our, uh, pr our proof of reserves well it's crazy like how creative you can get with this so that could be a way to maybe anonymously d dca into bitcoin potentially where you you would want to buy bitcoin um and you have like 200 dollars cash so you put it up in the stable coin account issued 200 uh, of these stable coins to be redeemed in Bitcoin on the liquid network. And you just have that Bitcoin. They have their stable coin. The dollars are in the bank account. You basically receive Bitcoin in a somewhat anonymous fashion. Obviously they know that they sent you the Bitcoin, but yeah, well, you'd have you'll... to find someone who trusts you to, that would buy your stable coin off you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, in all these cases, right. You'd have to trust. Yeah. To a degree. Mm -hmm. I mean, in every case. Yeah. Of of the, you know, asset-backed tokens. Yeah, exactly. You have to You're trust trusting the, the asset issuer, the person yeah. who's holding the actual asset. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. What's going on in Canada? It seems like things are getting, uh, getting pretty dire there pretty quickly. Well, I, I think in Quebec there... They're under heavy lockdowns. They're not allowed to go and have private functions and you can't see like your girlfriend or your boyfriend if you don't live together and stuff. But over here, it's not so bad yet. I'm on the West Coast. Nice. What, um, yeah, but it seems like the, at least from a financial perspective, the Bank of Canada sold oh. all, all the gold reserves, printing a bunch of money. <clears throat> they sold off all their gold around 2000. And uh, I just posted a chart on my Facebook page the other day. Um, the Canadian Central Bank, their uh, asset, their like, balance sheet has it's a hockey exploded <laughs> more than any other country. Like every country in the world, they're, they're printing like crazy. But Canada is like leading the pack by about a factor of five. So, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. We're just, they've gone off the rails printing money. But they've just been airdropping money to you guys, right? Yeah, yeah, we get like two grand a month. And I, I grabbed uh, two grand off them just to try it because <laughs> I was like unemployed. If, I feel like if you're going to print, at least give it to the people, you know? Like there's worse ways to print. Yeah, 
Well, it, in a sense, it gives it to some of the people, but it's also like within, when you're printing like crazy and causing that much inflation, it's still really robbing from, from, from everyone, like anyone who's got any savings. I mean, the hack is as soon as they airdrop you the, the fiat, you just immediately convert it into sats. And then that's, that's, how you, that's how you solve that problem. Yeah, everyone needs to convert all their Canadian dollars into sats ASAP. Immediately upon receipt. You just, yeah. as, as soon as you receive it, you just convert it right away. Have you, have you felt the effects of inflation? Like, is it noticeable uh, uh, on your grocery list, on your bottom line? Like in the last year since COVID, you mean? Or? Yeah. Oh. Right. Uh, not or, yet. Not yet, but it's coming. Like, it takes a while for that to trickle down to the real economy. But uh, there's definitely been, like massive inflation in real estate and and uh stock prices and stuff like particularly on the west coast of vancouver correct it's vancouver similar new york city a bunch of rich foreign nationals are just piling capital into it yeah real estate's gone up like crazy here over the last few decades Uh, does bitcoin fix this we shall see i think it does yeah. So what do you like outside of the local internet project and what you're building at Coinos, like what are, what other types of software do you work on? You seem pretty well versed on the economic side too. Like, that's, uh, um that's all I'm focused on right now. Mm-hmm. Just building up Coinos more. Oh yeah. Um uh, I got a young fe- family now, so I don't have a ton of time to do software these days. Yeah. What, um, what's the feedback been so far? Uh, have people been contributing? Have you seen many reviewers come to help you out or? Yeah, I've got a lot of good feedback and people are, uh, reporting bugs and pretty stoked on it, but I haven't, I haven't been putting it out there too much because I still feel like there's a lot of things I want to clean up and tidy up and, make sure it's secure. So I'm not that comfortable like taking on tons of people's money yet on my little server. So do we blow up your spot at all? What's that? Do we blow up your spot at all? Mentioning it, mentioning it on RHR? Uh, it definitely brought a few, a few new people to it, but not so much that I couldn't handle it. It's good. I'm, I'm, it's been running for a couple of years now with no issues. So I, I feel like, uh, probably it's time to like start putting it out there and get more people using it and find out whatever flaws it has sooner rather than later. So bring it on. Uh, Hopefully I don't have any like severe issues that I'm going to lose everyone's money, but it's better to find out now because I'm planning to like keep going with it, like building it and getting more people using it. So yeah. Just, hey, freaks, just load enough sats to buy a few dime bags from tftc.io slash dime dash bag. Um, yeah, I have like $1.50 on it. If you, if you lose uh, $0.150, cents, I'm not going to be too mad, Adam. Yeah. Um, Marty, install Aqua Wallet on your iPhone and send a liquid transaction from CoinOS to Aqua Wallet and report back on RHR on Friday. Got some homework. And put uh, some of your Marty coins up for sale. <laughs> I don't. Will I be labeled a shitcoiner then? 
It's yes. just Max Coin all over again. You'll be labeled what, a shit corner. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I can. I can risk that. Do you? Do you freaks want to buy f- future equity in my return? In my uh, my cash flow. We can create a Marty token. Someone I'm gonna will. sell. I'm gonna work hard for you. I'm incentivized. Um, shit corner. <laughs> uh, what else is uh? Is on the top of your mind as it pertains to Bitcoin or the state of the world. What's going on in Canada? What's going on here in the U.S.? What's on your mind, Adam? Any anything else you're focused on in the Bitcoin world or the world around it? Uh, it always just surprises me how few people have gotten into Bitcoin still, <laughs> and that it hasn't just taken over the world, and uh, that we are still dealing with tyrannical governments and paying taxes and all that. So uh, I've been, you know, since I found Bitcoin almost 10 years ago, I thought it was just around the corner any day now. Everyone's just going to catch on and switch over. But uh, that still hasn't quite happened yet. Just waiting. Just playing the waiting game. It happens much slower than people expect. Do you think that's good at the end of the day, just having the software getting tested out, or do you think Bitcoin should be pressured and uh, stress tested a bit more than it has been to date? No, I guess it's it's been just about right. Like uh, we did have a growing pains in 2017, and walks got full, and everything kind of got pushed to its limits then, and then that spurred on like all this second layer innovation in the last couple of years, and uh, I guess that stuff's still not quite ready for prime time yet. So we're probably going at just the right pace. But I like how Bitcoin incentivizes people who do get into it to to keep working on it and improve it. Kind of has this self-improving quality where you buy some Bitcoin and they think, well, okay, how can I make this better and easier for people to use and get more people into it? So it's kind of paying us all as Bitcoiners to improve itself. Yeah, it's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. We plug in machines and write software to make sure Bitcoin keeps producing blocks, keeps its heart beating uh, metaphorically. And in return, we get a sound digital currency yeah. uh, that we can distribute in a peer-to-peer fashion. We're going to get Bitcoin heady talk here to end it out. <clears throat> Is Bitcoin a living organism? Is 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 a part of the singularity? Are we are we currently merging with the machine world? I think so. Yeah. And this, uh, you know, the Satoshi Nakamoto origin story—it's all just—it's very mystical. Yeah. What do you think? You think Satoshi is an AI? Mm, maybe we all are. Yeah, maybe they are. I don't know. We're all in the simulation. Well, Matt, do you have anything else you want to wrap up on? I got. No, I mean, I really, I really enjoyed this. I there's there's something about CoinOS that just brought back my like early days of Bitcoin, and just, it was just, I, I I like I can't put my finger on it, but as soon as I found it, I just got really excited about it. It was just like the the lack of friction, just how clean it was, um, 
so I just wanted to say thank you for that. I, I really appreciate the work you've done there. And I do hope that a thousand CoinOS servers bloom. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for the work. And maybe, hey, this is going to get me experimenting with Liquid. It makes it more accessible, certainly. So I guess I got some homework now. I have to download Aqua, create Marty tokens, become an official shitcoiner. Yeah, do it. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool, actually. I was very skeptical when I first heard about Liquid and played with it too, but I'm pretty sold on it now. Marty tokens will be worth two Bitcoin one day. Each Marty token worth two Bitcoin. You heard it here first. Now you sound like Richard Hart. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, uh, I want to echo Matt's appreciation for the work that you're putting into CoinOS. Uh, Freaks, if you haven't checked it out, go to coinos.io. Uh, check this out again. The, the UI you've created is very sleek, uh, very straightforward and intuitive, adding sats to the, the lightning wallet at least and, and playing around with that. So that UX is the hardest part. Here's the hoping that the Canadian regulators don't fuck you over and, and throw a money transmission uh, compliance letter at you. So um, really appreciate you taking some time to come on as well. Thanks, guys. It was an honor to be here. All right. Doing the good work. Cheers. Cheers. Peace and love, freaks.